You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. It's been a good series. I want to say uh, good morning to you. Um, I also want to say uh, let's be really kind to the people who come walking in here at noon thinking it's 11 a.m., all right? So they go to the, if you're up in the loft there and we got people coming in late, it's because of that. I noticed that uh, some of you are normally, as I look around, uh, normally here at 9 in the morning. I, I don't understand what happened here today, but... It's daylight savings, and daylight savings is one of those times that is, I don't know about you, but for me sometimes, it's the hardest night to fall asleep. So like last night's the hardest night to fall asleep, right? Because you're like, you lie down and you're a little bit panicked, like, oh my goodness, I have one less hour to sleep. And then you're stressed about going to sleep, you try to go to sleep quick, and you know, the one in the fall where we fall back and we gain an hour, that should be the easiest night to fall asleep, but how many of you squander that hour? like me. Oh yeah, a lot of us, right? Now, how many of you last night, you're a little bit stressed about falling asleep because you're just thinking you got one less hour last night, you got to spring clocks. Anybody panic a little bit this morning? Be honest. There's a little panicking guest right over here. Awesome. Okay, a couple of you. Yes, that all of a sudden you realize, wow, it's later than I thought it is. And, and few nights do we feel more anxious when we lie down to sleep than daylight savings in the spring where you spring ahead and you actually lose that hour and you have a little stress about, I have one less hour to sleep. And while that might be a hard night for some of you, and we're joking a little bit, there are other nights that are very difficult, very tough for you and I to fall asleep. I was reminded this last week of a problem I cannot fix. You've got problems that you cannot fix. You've got things that you'd like to fix, that you dream of fixing, that you pray to God to fix, but you've got problems in your life that you cannot fix. You know, it's like years ago when I learned um, that my aunt had terminal breast cancer. And this is years ago, and I'm looking at my two little nieces, and I'm realizing that there's nothing I can do to change that circumstance. There's nothing the doctors could do, and the doctors are self-admittedly saying there's nothing we can do to change that circumstances. And I'm watching, saying, these two little girls, my nieces, are soon to grow up without a mom. You and I have problems that we cannot fix, and some problems in life are big, and some problems in life are small, but we have problems that we cannot fix And the problem is, with the problems that we cannot fix, is that helpless is not a word we enjoy. When you and I have problems we cannot fix, we become helpless. And helpless is not a word that you and I enjoy. Because helpless often leads to the next phase, which is hopeless. And helpless, we don't want to get to the point where we're hopeless. But when we feel helpless, that's the thing that panics us the most. That if we're helpless in a situation, we might be, in fact, without hope. It's not a word we enjoy. And perhaps for you, your, th- your problems are big. Perhaps for you, they're small. Perhaps for you, your son is being threatened by a dangerous person. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's a problem for you. You cannot fix that. Perhaps some of you in this room, you're realizing that you lost your phone and and you might say it's a small problem to maybe lose your phone, but the reason it's a big problem that I lost my phone is because you had that picture of you and your mom on there and she's passed away and you can't get that picture back. You've lost it. Maybe your best friend won't talk to you anymore. For others, you're being accused unfairly and it just makes you furious. It doesn't just make you angry. It makes you actually furious about it. 
Maybe you've been backed into a corner and you feel like you're trapped, like you're literally in a corner, you're backed into it, and you're deciding, do I fight or do I flight? What am I going to do? Because life has marginalized you, people are against you, problems are huge in your life, and you're burdened by those things, and you lie down and you try to sleep, and you just feel absolutely overwhelmed. Well, where can you reach when you're falsely accused? Where can you reach when you are persecuted? I mean, you think, well, maybe I can just call out to God, but honestly, like, how real can you be when you call to God? And, and if you get there, what are you actually going to ask for in that moment? Have you ever lied down at night where you're just absolutely angry? Like, you go to bed, but you're just angry. Have you ever laid down angry at night to the point where you're actually trembling? You're just so furious. You're just at wit's end. You want to escape. You want to be away. You want to be by yourself. You're just angry, maybe to the point of trembling. How can you find peaceful sleep when great injustice has been done to you? And the question we have to ask is, how do we get from the point where problems we cannot fix that make us feel helpless don't make us end up hopeless? How do we move from being in a place where we're helpless to finding actual real hope? And that was the condition under which Peter and his day in the series that we just finished on headlines going through the book of 1 Peter, as we look back at that, we basically just said, where would they turn to for help? Where would Peter and his friends find help. Peter is writing a letter to the people who are receiving it, who are under persecution from Rome, and they are receiving that letter as canonized scripture. They are receiving it from Peter as if it was God-breathed, because it is. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful. They were receiving it firsthand as these are the word of God to us in our current situation. But let's rewind a little bit. Where would Peter turn before he writes the book of 1 Peter in his own persecution, in his own fears, in the own times when he would lie awake at night? Where would he turn to find comfort? What scriptures would Peter use? And they would have the Old Testament. That's the only place they could go, the only place they could turn when faced with oppression and persecution. What words of truth could they reach for and find solace in to find comfort in God and point our heart to the care of God. Well, they would turn to the Old Testament. And if you have your Bible with me, open to Psalm chapter four. In the Old Testament, Psalm chapter four. Psalm chapter three is a morning prayer. It's a prayer that people would pray in the morning and they would put it to music and they would be able to pray that in the morning. Psalm chapter four is an evening prayer. Psalm chapter three is written by David. Psalm chapter four, most scholars believe, was written also by David, but there's some uncertainty. The point is that this psalmist, as they're writing this out to God, are being very real, very honest with God. It's an evening prayer, and we're gonna read that prayer here together. It says this, Psalm chapter four, verse one, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. And when you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. 
offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound in peace. I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. When you feel insecure, there's only one person, one source that will ultimately allow you and I to feel safe. No amount of human intervention can ever guarantee safety for anyone. And yet there are times when you and I feel helpless and we're beginning to teeter toward hopeless that God begins to draw us, God begins to call us back to himself. And this, in this evening prayer, it's what a person would recite at night or they would go to at night when they are having trouble going to sleep to turn their hearts not just in the morning toward God, but also in the evening toward God. And a couple months ago, I'm just reading in my own quiet time, and I'm reading Psalm chapter 4, and it just really ministered to my heart. It just spoke to me, and literally I said, okay, sometime this like year, I'm going to preach on this. And I just set it aside, and God just, I want to share with you some of the things God did in my heart and what God, I think, has as a message for you today in your heart when it comes to the issue of peace when we feel helpless so that we don't turn hopeless. Number one on your outline, if you're taking notes today, again, this is what an evening prayer, the raw response of a person who uh, lies down with anxiety and anger and they're worried and distressed. It's a call for help when they're helpless. And, and the first fill in the blank with this, whenever it seems that injustice or persecution is directed at you, call on God. He will do what is right. God will do what is right. God will always do what is right. God will perfectly do the very thing that's the right thing to do. He will always do the right thing to do in, its, in his very nature. God will do what is right, not necessarily what you might suggest for him to do. Isn't that funny that here we are, we try to suggest to God, you try to suggest to God, I think you should fix it this way. God, I think you should do this. And it's like us suggesting to an all-powerful creator who breathes the stars into existence. We can't even get near the heat nor radiation of a star without dying. And God just breathed them into existence. He created matter out of nothing who judges the living, oh, and the dead, and he cast Satan out of heaven, and the angels who followed Satan, he cast all of them out of heaven, but he invites you and me, who are sinful people, into heaven. And sometimes, you and I begin to tell God what to do. We have our problems, and we're helpless, and so we think we are the best source of information to help God help us, help you, help me. God will always do what is right. He's the righteous God. He will do what is right. It's in his very nature and character. You can't separate rightness from God. He will always do what's right. But what's the problem? When we feel helpless and we feel hopeless, we begin to accuse God that he didn't do the right thing. That he didn't meet us in our time of need. That he didn't help. He didn't answer it soon enough. He didn't answer it my way. And we begin to judge the judge of the living and the dead and say, God, I'm putting you on trial. You didn't help me when I was there for you. The truth is God will always do what is right. And God won't necessarily work on your timetable. Right? When you're being persecuted, 
The timetable is, God, I need your help now. I need your help this instant. I need your help right away. And sometimes you're like, well, okay, God, I'll give you at least till the end of the week. And then you kind of wait and see, well, did he do something or didn't he? God won't always necessarily work on our timetable, but he will always do what is right every single time. So here's this psalmist, this author, and he's writing to God. He's saying, answer me, God, when I call to you, my righteous God, give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. He's calling out to God. And he's calling God, not just God, but he's calling him my righteous God. Why? Because God will always do what is right. He is your righteous God. He's the source of your rightness. I want you to realize that the source of your rightness or my rightness comes from God. If you're taking notes, it's that he's our righteous God. Any righteousness that you or I have is from God. It's not from us. Because as right as you might think that you are, as right as you might hope to be, even if you add one mistake, one sin to that, it destroys the whole thing. It's like cooking brownies, and if you took a little bit of dog poop and you put it in the brownies, and you just made, you said, it's not much. Honestly, you just told people, hey, these are these fresh brownies, um, but it's got a little dog poop in there, but it's just a little bit. So it's a teeny little. How many of you would not eat the dog, right? None of us would eat the brownies, right? Sin does the same thing to us. And yet so often we get in a self-righteous state. And the only rightness that we have is because of Jesus And let me tell you, he is able to remove everything from the brownies. He's able to take all the ingredients out. He took our penalty on the cross. He paid for it in full. And that's how God is. That's who God is. And the rightness that we have comes from a righteous God. And it's so grateful because we transferred our sin to him and Jesus transferred his righteousness to us. He is, personalize it. He's my righteous God. The psalmist isn't being arrogant. He's saying, of all the gods, false gods, or the real living God I could choose, I'm choosing my righteous God. He will always do what is right. That's the kind of God that he is. And what that does for us is when we have the righteousness of Christ, it gives us complete access to be able to approach that God. We don't have to go sacrifice an animal first. You don't have to go and confess to a priest or have a human intercessory for you. You basically have direct access because of the righteousness of Christ to approach God with your cry for help. He loves you. Through Jesus, we have every right to call on God. Listen, you don't need a special prayer. You don't need a medium. You don't need a horoscope to tell you what's coming in the future. You need to trust a God who will always do what is right. If you're taking notes today, number three, God hears you. Bring the real you and speak your heart to the real God. Honesty engages God's compassion. I think there's a lot of times that like we come before God and we, we start to give our prayer to God and we try to say some big words that we're not even sure what all those words like really mean, but like we think it pleases him and he's like, what do you, what do you, you don't even know what that word means. What are you doing? Like you're using that to try to sound spiritual to me and you bring this request before God and you try to say some things that would like please him and, and God just wants us to be real. He wants you to bring the real you to the real God. And that's why here at Sun Grove Church, we strive, we say we want to be real with ourselves, 
real with God, and real with others. Because change doesn't happen in our lives until we're real with ourselves first, we admit it. Then we're real with God about what's going on in our lives. Then we're able to be real with others and how refreshing is that? Have you ever had a friend who's been fake with you? And they're putting on all these platitudes. Maybe it's your kid, maybe it's, a, it's someone else. And they, you just feel like you're being fed all these like, lies or it's not really transparent. And then all of a sudden there's that moment. There's the breakthrough. They're finally just honest with you. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've missed you. You're being honest. You're being real. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to bring ourselves not only to be real with him, but he wants us to bring ourselves to the real him. Some of us make up a God. Some of us make up a God that if we pray a prayer, then he gives us something like a credit card. Some of us make up a God, a God who says that, hey, I've forgiven all your sins, so sin all you want. I'll just keep forgiving it. You make up a God. God's saying, I paid dearly for that sin. And those who've suffered in the body, Peter told us, live the rest of their lives as if they were dead to sin because they've suffered in the flesh. And Jesus is saying, I've suffered in the flesh. Don't just keep going on sinning, just assuming that I will forgive. Is God gracious? Yes. Is God forgiving? Yes. Did God pay a real price for us? Yes. Are we to repent from our sin and turn back to him as believers in Jesus? Absolutely. We keep coming back to him, but we bring the real us to the real him. We don't make up a God who doesn't exist. We make up a God as he reveals himself in scripture. So often in scripture, he'll say, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? And I'm not preaching that it's a religion of performance here. Please understand that's human effort. That's human religion. But what he's doing is he's saying, why do you call me that title? Why are you call it is my title. It is the real me. But why are you calling me that title if you're not doing what I say? Are you really bringing the real you? How much better for us to come before God and go, God, I've been struggling. God, I've been sinning. God, I've been running away from you. I've been mistrusting you. God, I've been angry. I've been lying on my bed, furious. And just bring the real us to our God as he really reveals himself to be. Some people say, I can't really pray at night. This is an evening prayer. And some of you are like, that's it for me. If I pray that, I get like halfway through because you fall asleep. Now, how many of you do, you'd be like, have prayed. And when you pray at night, you kind of just fall asleep. Now, some people get down on that. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, what dad wouldn't want his children to be in conversation with them and they drift off to sleep? What dad's going to be like, hey, wake up. Finish your thought, kid. No one, right? Every dad's going to be like, that is so precious. I think our heavenly father's the same. So pray to him when you lie in your bed at night. But the problem here is not that he's lying on his bed at night and he's, he's just drifting off to sleep in prayer. The problem is he's lying on his bed at night and he can't sleep. He can't go out. His thoughts and his problems are all consuming. His thoughts and his problem are not leading to peace. And he feels helpless and it's beginning to teeter toward hopeless. And God, as he talks to him, begins to bring him back the other direction Listen, if you're going to fall asleep talking to God at night, just make sure you talk to him during the day too. You want to have conversation with him. You want to bring the real you to the real God and be real with yourself and with God and with others. And that's where there's transparency. 
There is a morning prayer, there is an evening prayer in Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. In this case, though, the author is distressed. He can't sleep. He's super angry, and worry consumes him. And so let's see what else he has to say to us. Number four in your outline, I am set apart from God. He hears me. So I will chase after him and stop pursuing false securities in this matter. The psalmist says it this way. He's saying, how long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you, listen to these words, love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call him, when I call to him. God hears you when you call to him. But so often when you and I lie on our beds at night and we're anxious and we're stressed, we start to reach for false securities. We start to reach for fantasies. We start to reach for delusions to try to give us some semblance of sleep, some semblance of peace as we try to reason it all out. So we have fantasies. We've got delusions. We reach for security and false gods. We have a false sense of what might make you secure and might make things right. And we do this when we lie in our beds at night. And some of us, let me give you some examples. Some of you have legal fantasies. You actually, as you're lying on bed at night, you're thinking, if the lawyers could get involved, then what if this happened and it proved that I'm right and it made the rightness of my cause shine like the noonday sun, like the light just came into my darkness and it proved that I am absolved and I'm right and I'm justified. And you begin to have these legal fantasies hoping that the legal system would make you right and that your security could be in that. Some of you have relational fantasies. If I could just have this person have a conversation with that person, it would just show that this is how things went down and then it would make me right and justified. You begin to think, maybe I could reach to a human to bring me security, a human to bring me justification. And it's a fantasy. Some of you skip all that. You don't go to the legal system. You don't go to a relationship that somebody else could intervene and help you. Some of you just jump straight to revenge fantasies. And you lie in your bed at night and you're angry. You're so angry. And you're thinking about how you could bring revenge on those who persecute you. Well, lying in bed while angry or anxious, I can be silent and search my heart and my motives before God. You can search your heart and your motives. See what happens when we lie in our bed and we're angry. We begin to reason and think and depend on other things. And, and maybe for you, it's not when you're trying to sleep. Maybe for some of you, you wake up the same time every night and you stress for an hour or more in the middle of the night, worried about something that consumes you and you're just absolutely stressed about it. And in those times, you're just worried, and that's it, and that's your time. That's your time to call out to God, to be able to turn to him. But so often, we're, we're projecting when we're worried. We're projecting out at how big our problem is. And we don't project inward at our part in it. We don't project inward on our heart, our motives. And the psalmist says this in Psalm 4, 4. He says, tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. 
We have to lie down before we can pick up. We have to lie down our fears before we can pick up trust. We have to lie down ourself before we can pick up trust. We have to sacrifice what we're holding on to. We have to sacrifice our delusions, our fantasies, our reassurances that something else other than God can rescue me. We have to lay those down. But when we lay it down, we pick up trust. It's what you and I do. It's what you did when you received Jesus as Lord, when you came to Christ and put faith and trust in what he did on the cross. You had to lay down self. You had to say, I have come to the end of me. God, I'm gonna lay down myself because I'm the brownie with stuff in it and I can't get the stuff out. So God, I need you through what Jesus did on the cross. Take me, my heart, make me a new creation, make me clean, wash me as white as snow. And so what do we do? We lay down self. There was that sacrifice and we picked up trust. And then we begin to watch God build a track record of trust in your life. It's what you and I do when we come to the point where we're, where we're gonna be obedient to the tithe. That we basically, we lay down, God, I have fears, I have objections, I have an inner, you know, working about this whole issue of money and I'm gonna lay it down. And then what happens? You lay it down, you sacrifice, you do the right thing and you begin to pick up trust and God begins to build a track record of trust in your life. It's what you do when you feel like you want to pull revenge on somebody. And so you're going to have to lay that down. You're, you're on your bed and you're angry. You're so angry you might even be like trembling. And we lay that down. God, my delusions of revenge, I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to sacrifice it. But then I begin to have to pull back and pick up trust that God, you are going to do more than my revenge could ever do. And revenge in its own end is empty. It never satisfies the wound. This verse reads, if you actually translate it in Hebrew, just straight up, this word reads tremble. And the word tremble there is not trembling from being like, it's not like you're in holy fear of God. Oh, you're trembling because you're so angry. It says this, tremble, but don't sin. I love that. It's not condemning that you're trembling. You're angry. Angry is something that happens. It's a human emotion. But it's saying, be angry, but do not what? Sin. It sounds like the New Testament, right? Paul, in Ephesians writing, in your anger, do not sin. Where did he get it from? Right here, Psalm chapter 4. Tremble, but don't sin. Then later if you translate it, it says, speak within yourself, but be still on your bed. That's the way that we do. What are we doing? We're sacrificing and laying something down so we can pick up trust because that's how God's wired us to do that. And then it says, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. So what does that mean? It means, okay, so I'm gonna evaluate my heart. I'm gonna evaluate my motives. I'm gonna die to my own self-preservation. I'm gonna die to my greed. I'm gonna die to my self-righteousness. And I'm going to pick up trusting you, God. And then I'm going to offer the sacrifices. So in other words, God, after I lay myself down, I'm just going to do the next right thing. Instead of doing the wrong thing like revenge, instead of doing the wrong thing like being consumed forever by worrying and anxiety, 
God, I'm just going to do the next right thing. And guess what? When worry and anxiety overwhelm me again, I'm going to do the next right thing. And when worry and anxiety overwhelm me again, I'm going to do the next right thing. Trust is active. It's not a passive word. So by doing the next right thing, I'm demonstrating that my inner man or woman, my heart posture is to, intent is to trust the Lord. But I'm going to do the next right thing. It's not just empty words of hope that don't ultimately satisfy me. So what do you say then? You're angry. You're anxious. You're in bed. What do you do? How do you, now that you get the words, now that you communicate to God, what do you do? Well, don't just bring a complaint. Bring a request for God's provision. Don't just bring a complaint. Bring a request. And sometimes all we ever do when we pray is we complain. We complain, complain, complain. We never ask God to intervene. Or if we do, we stack it up on my timetable in the way that I want you to do it, God. Understand, God will always do the right thing every single time. So he says, bring the real you to me, but don't stay a complainer. Because the point is, when we begin to communicate with God, God's intent for us is to change us. Even as he cares about our circumstances very much. But if all we do is bring complain, 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 do we change? No. So don't just bring a complaint. Bring a request. Psalm chapter 4, verse 6. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? So they're saying, who's, who's going to help us out? Who's going to make us prosperous? Who's going to rescue us, right? It says, goes on, it says, let the light of your face shine on us. It's this picture that God's face might be somewhere else, but his face turns to you and the light of his face is toward you, toward your concern, toward your problem, toward your impossible situation. Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. This was an agricultural society. So he's saying, when things turn around, when things are prosperous, when things are good, we will rejoice because of the goodness of God on his people. Those who say, let's say you just bring a complaint to God. Well, those who say, let the light of your face shine on me. That phrase can be translated two different ways. And there's no way to know how it's translated except by context. There's two ways that phrase can be translated. I've just read one of them. You want to know what the other one is? The other one is the way that the complainer would translate that phrase. And here's how it goes. It would say this. You would say, who brings us prosperity? The complainer would translate the second half of verse 6 to read, the light of your face, it's fled from us. And that's what we do when we stay stuck in our own victimization. We go, God, you've forgotten me. God, you've turned away from me. God, you've abandoned me. You've orphaned me. You clearly don't care about me because look at how you didn't work it out on my timeline. God, you clearly don't care about me because this problem is too big. And don't you see me? And all we do is bring a complaint, but we don't bring a request. We don't lay down and evaluate our own heart and come to a point of trusting God. So what that person was do is say, God, you've run away from me. You fled from me. When I was seven or eight years old, I went on a 
really before dawn, early morning day hike from Mammoth Lakes out to a lake called Barney, Lake Barney. And as we hike about five miles in, which is a long hike if you're seven or eight years old, and we hike all the way in there to go fishing that day, Lake Barney sits up at the end of a pass. And at the end of the pass, there's this huge mountain. It's a big ridge that you'd have to go back and forth on if you go over Duck Pass to get to Duck Lake. We're at Barney Lake. Barney Lake is down in the shadow. That huge pass surrounds it. It's the very end of it. And you are at the base of it, and the sun rises on the other side of it. And so I remember getting up there, and I am from Southern California. So, and I'm seven or eight years old, which means I have no body fat. And it means that we hike all the way in there, and I have like a sweatshirt on, and I am freezing cold. Like there's ice on the ground, but I think it's, I'm turning icy. Like I'm so freezing cold, like I'm actually trembling. Because I just, you know, I'm freezing, and it's just so cold. And I remember I'm sitting there, I have a problem I can't solve. I cannot make that sun get up high enough to come over the ridge and get the light on me because if the light gets on me, the warmth will get on me. And I'm just sitting there and I'm free. I'm so cold. I have like the tears coming down. You know what I'm talking about? You've got like little tears are coming down because you're just like, I'm so cold and I'm trying not to be a complainer with my parents. But I remember just desperately sitting there going like, I mean, I watched. I turned around literally and watched the sunlight go down the hill, across the lake to where we were at the inlet of the lake, and I'm just dying like it can't get here fast enough. God, just make the light of your face shine on me right now. But what happens so often is we come before God and we say, God, I want the light of your face to shine on my problem and I want it here right now. But you don't realize that the whole time the Lord is rising. He hears your prayers. The sunlight is coming. It's trekking across behind you. You can't see it. And it's about to warm you in your circumstances. But if you get stuck in asking a, a complaint without a request, you're like the person just sit there going, it just can't get here fast enough. Now, God, I'm going to put you on trial. I'm going to make you wrong because you didn't meet my need in my way and at my time. And some of us have to endure the darkness before we see the light. And God says, I will never leave you, never forsake you. I am there with you in the darkness, but please be aware, my face is toward you. My face shines on you. My face cares about your little problems and your big ones, your impossible situations I care about. Because I am for you. Well, where does that phrase, may the light of your face shine on us. When I was having my time with the Lord, that's the phrase in this psalm that just jumped out at me. That the light of God's face would be on us. I was like, oh Lord, let your light be on us. Don't you cry out for that? God, wouldn't it be great that your light would be on us? What a beautiful phrase. It's a lovely phrase, but where does that phrase come from? It comes from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. It's a blessing where Moses says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Isn't that what you want? God, turn your face toward me. Let the light of your face shine on me and bring me peace where I have no peace. It's a blessing of God. The benefit of choosing to believe that God is actually for you because of Jesus, not because of your own merit, but we choose to believe, God, you are for us. Your face is toward us. Your light is on us. It's on our situation. It's on our concerns. It's on our worry. It's on our problems. You're always available to us. We can always call to you. 
the reason and the benefit of choosing to believe that God is for you because of Jesus is that his light does shine on you. His face is toward you and the unrest in the circumstances that you're facing right now. Your soul can find peace even though the extenuating circumstances of your life may or may not have changed. See, happiness is based on circumstances. Well, those circumstances are going to change, which means you could be unhappy, but joy is persevering with a trust in the Lord even when your circumstances fluctuate. So hear the psalmist in the evening prayer saying, God, I'm angry, I'm consumed with worry, I'm upset, I'm lying down, I can't find sleep. God, how will you meet me? How will, you under, how will I be reminded in my soul, the core of my being, that your face is toward me, that you care for me? And the answer is found in verse eight. He says this, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. There's only one source in all your life that can guarantee safety. And sometimes even the safety of God is guaranteed not just in this life, because death is a part of this life, but afterlife. See, you can protest and you can say all sorts of things like we demand that you make us safe. We demand that you keep us secure. And sometimes those demands are delusions, are they not? Because who ultimately can keep us safe? And even if we can't keep the body safe, who keeps the soul safe? God alone. God alone. He's the only source that can do it. So what does God do? When we come to him, we call out to him, we cry out to him, we say, God, you're our answer. We're not trusting in this or that or the other. God, I've got to surrender myself and get past myself and surrender it to you. We find that God moves you from stressed to rest to blessed. He alone is able to give you joy in the face of persecution. Listen, in Peter's day, they were being persecuted by Nero. In our day, our culture is turning more and more toward persecution, toward taking it, saying that Christian mind and thought and the word of God and the name of Jesus Christ has no place in our culture. It is turning more and more in that direction. You have people who hate you just because they hate you. You have people who are against you and only want to see what they want to see, but there is only one in the whole earth who can make you right, and that is the righteous one, the righteous God. And he alone is our source of security, our safety, and the only one who can move us from trembling in anger to trembling in reverence of a God who always does what's right. On your outline, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down where you need to move from stressed to rest to blessed. You write down what's your impossible situation. What's the thing that you've been facing? This is just for you. You take it home with you. But I want you to write down just as a way of application, God, here's where I need to cry out to you. If I'm just gonna be honest with myself and with you, God, and maybe with others, that this is where I need to turn and trust you. We write that down. And maybe for some of you, it's sacrificing yourself. You've never come to the place where you've given your life to Jesus. You've never come to the place where you've surrendered yourself. You've kind of felt like, I just hope I'll be good enough, or I don't know if I need God in my life. But the freedom is coming to the point where you say, God, I come to the end of me. 
I can't make myself any more righteous. I can't. I've got sin in me. I've done wrong things. Even once in my life, it just taints the whole thing. And so, God, I come before you. I'm going to lay myself down. I want the righteousness of Christ on me. So I surrender and I give you me. If you're right now just with your heads bowed and eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, here's what I want you to do in this moment. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord, you've never said, God, I just, I got to get to the end of myself. I'm going to give you me. I'm going to believe that your death on the cross satisfied God's wrath against my sin and that you offer eternal life and the chance to be made new from the inside out right now, washed white as snow, clean. And if that's what you want, you're saying, God, I want that today. I'm I'm going to do that. The way you do is you just bring the real you to a real God. It's not a special prayer. You just introduce yourself to him by way of communicating. And the way that you do that is you pray. And and right in your seat where you're uh, sitting right now, God will hear you on the inside of your heart. He'll hear you if you whisper this. But if that's you today, then you pray a prayer like this right after me. Just say, Jesus, today I give you me. I can't save myself. I've done so many wrong things. I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. Would you wash me as white as snow? Because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.